This is John Silberg, and I'm speaking with cinematographer Newton Thomas Siegel, ASC, about his work on Valkyrie. The film, directed by frequent collaborator Brian Singer, stars Tom Cruise as Colonel Klaus von Staffenberg. It starts in Africa, where he loses his hand in an explosion, and then moves to Berlin, where he conspires to assassinate Hitler. The first thing I'm curious about is, was it weird to be shooting in Germany with all those Nazi uniforms and uh, swastika flags? Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, in Germany they've had World War II movies done before, so they've seen that before, but it's certainly, you know, it's, it's very sensitive. You have an older generation that's extremely sort of, you know, guilt-ridden. You have a younger generation that was, oh, enough already, you know, it was none of us. Um, and for me personally, it was very strange because my mother was born in Berlin. Uh, she was a German Jew who fled Nazi Germany at the 11th hour, right before Kristallnacht. And in going back there and in telling such a story, which is really about her childhood um, and about the persecution of, of the Jews and the horror that was the, the Holocaust, it was eerie for me and it made me think more about my mother and have actually more conversations with my mother than I had in many, many years. Now you've made some really big genre films like Superman and X-Men with uh, Brian. Was the approach to this more historical film uh, different? Well, not, not really. You know, I think uh, with Brian, you know, you always just start from story. And um, this was a story that we both knew and had talked about for a long time. So, you know, I never necessarily expected it would actually get made, but when the opportunity rose and it looked like we were going to make it, um, uh, the, the process of talking about the story and how to approach it and everything with him felt pretty much like the other movies. You know, it's, with him it's really mostly about, about story and tone. Well, is the tone and story of the uh, final film pretty much the same as what it was when you initially were discussing it? It's the same. Once, when, we, when the film was really up and running, it's the, it's the same. The first uh, phone call I had with him was when I was doing Leatherheads. And um, he called me and he said, uh, you know that Stauffenberg story? I think we're going to really do it. We're going to make it. It's going to be small. It's going to be down and dirty, $17 million. Uh, we're going to do it in, uh, in Germany. And... Uh, you know, German actors, and, and I went, wow, cool, you mean like Downfall or something, that's great, fantastic, let's do it, and um, I don't know, it was maybe a week or two weeks later, he called me back and he said, so it looks, it's definitely on, the Stauffenberg thing is on, but um, it's a little different, um, Stauffenberg is going to be played by Tom Cruise, I was like, whoa, that's different, you know? So how was it different, to, did you have to do more special effects and set extensions and uh, uh, did everything in the film have to suddenly get uh, bigger? Yeah, and it's also, you know, uh, there really wasn't that much set extension or anything like that, very little actually. There were a number of effects which were of course mostly to remove his hand and uh, um, to, de to deal with the disfiguration that he had. But I think that you know, the Tom Cruise factor meant a bigger scale and things like, you know, when you do a scene where you're uh, showing he was wounded in Africa and what his role was in Africa, you know, you can't kind of go out and shoot it against a hill with the 
with a truck and a couple soldiers, it's you got to have lots of airplanes and tanks. So just things like that, you know, where where both Brian and Tom didn't want it to feel, you know, cheated or the audience to feel cheated or mm-hmm. or that uh, you know we were avoiding things because of our limited resources. Did you have to do anything because you had a big star like Tom Cruise in the film to make the character more sympathetic, more heroic? You know, I expected that. Uh, I expected that, oh, now that Tom Cruise is playing it, the, 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 the sort of the flaws of the man and some of the uh, uh, ambiguousness of the man is not going to, won't be there. But I have to say that I, I was pretty impressed that he was willing to to show some of the, maybe the, the less than perfect side of him. I mean, the reality was Stauffenberg was a pretty heroic figure and what he did was a tremendous sacrifice. You know, there are the detractors who will say that, you know, it was a day late and a dollar short, my mother being one of them, who was born in Berlin. But uh, the reality of the courage that it took to do what he did and, the, and his determination, you know, was there already. So, I mean, he's a historic, a, a heroic figure. He could have rode out to war and hoped he stayed alive. He purposely put himself in a position where the, the chances were he was, I mean, he felt confident and brave, but... You know, I don't think anybody, uh, um, no matter how confident you felt going into uh, a plan to kill Hitler, could possibly be that confident they were coming out alive. And he had, uh, you know, a wife and children. What was your goal uh, in terms of uh, visual references? Um, did you look at other films or newsreels of the period? What, what were you looking for to, to, as, a, as a model? To have a kind of classical feeling and a feeling of um, historical accuracy, and to have an uh, you know and the energy and the drive that a thriller has, but um, to really not um, have it have a kind of a camera trickery or or you know sort of modern pyrotechnics that that would really undercut the story. So I wouldn't say there's a specific you know like film or photography reference that we looked at and said this is what it's going to look like but you know for me it was all about sort of the the, the truth of it that uh, the way things were lit and the way we were staging things it just had to feel true it had to really feel that the, the least imposition possible from as a filmmaker onto the story you did a lot of experimentation with uh, the Genesis camera um, and then uh, affecting the look and post on Superman. Did you consider doing anything like that for this film? Superman, of course, is a, is a, a fantastical world that doesn't really exist that, you know, um, and, and originates from a two-dimensional graphic source, you know, comic books. And for that, I really wanted to, you know, create a sort of hyper-reality. For Valkyrie, it was really much more, it wanted it to be much more grounded. And initially I did some tests and there were some kind of interesting things that I did that I thought gave it a kind of nice period feel. But I think, and this is maybe where the Tom Cruise factor comes in, you know, I think for Brian it started to, it started at one point he said, it looks like a European movie, which that was kind of a funny thing to say since we were shooting in Berlin. Was that meant as an insult? That was that was a kind of I think a polite way of saying oh, it makes it look too low budget or whatever. Uh-huh. You know, I sort of went in a little different direction and 
The DI was very easy. I mean, the initial, my, my initial pass on the DI, it was like a week. Where'd you do it? At, uh, with Stefan Nakamura, who I've worked with for many years, uh, who is now at Company 3. We've worked together a lot and it was, it was pretty painless. Um, we had some bumps, you know, getting it past Brian in the studio and everybody finally approved. But uh, not many, really. Again, you know, there wasn't a lot of smoke and mirrors in it. It's, right. it's, it's very straightforward. It's, it's not that it doesn't have a certain style and a language that we sort of created for it, but it's very unimposed, you know. It's a very realistic-looking film. You said you had done some initial tests uh, to give it a period feel. What, what kind of things had you tried out? Yeah, I, I did some tests where I was, uh, I was contemplating shooting the whole thing on reversal stock, but n as reversal. Not cross-processed? Not cross-processed. And uh, I think for Brian, I think he was concerned about the flesh tone because it's true, you know, you have less sort of control over the flesh tones when you do that. And I think also it maybe felt a little too much like it would, somebody might think it was 16 millimeters or something for him. You know, he still likes a, a rich and an elegant look. And I think, you know, he knew we were going to have big, luxurious sets and this, you know, massively powerful military and army. And, you know, he didn't want it to look, you know, like cheap. I'm surprised you even wanted to shoot reversal. Wouldn't it have been possible to just shoot negative and then dial in a reversal look uh, in post? Well, that's what everybody says. You know, we always say that about every look, you know. I mean, there's an argument to just, you know, shoot it straight out of the box like a gray card and do it all later. But I think there's still something to be said for building as much of the look as you can into the negative or positive as it is or whatever it is. And, and going from there, you know, I believe in making that commitment up front and then using the DI to really uh, carry that through to its logical conclusion, to do those final steps that you maybe can't do in camera. Um, I think when you try to really, I mean, I have done stuff where it's very, very, you know, majorly created in, in post, and it can, it can be done very successfully now, but I think it can also start to um, feel very manipulated or, or electronic. And I think part of it is because if you want, let's say you wanted a look that was predominantly like uh, the way reversal film looks, if you're taking a negative and you're saying, okay, I'm now going to do X, Y, and Z to get it there, now you've already done so much stuff to get it to that place that when you then want to you know, bring out the shadow in that wall a little bit or you want to take a little of the magenta out of the flesh tone, you're already so tweaked around in terms of your color correction that you're walking a little uh, uh, finer line to get those nuances. Whereas if you know that's the basic look you want and you start there in terms of what you're doing in your, in your negative, then you have a lot more freedom to sort of mm -hmm. massage it and tweak it later. Assuming you don't get into post and go, you know, this whole look, I don't like it. I right. want it green, you know, whatever. Was there any discussion about uh, shooting digitally? I, I sort of brought it up, and it was immediately rejected if, because it was a period film. Now, I, the logic of that is a little flawed because we're using modern film stocks and lenses, but so be it. You know, I I had great experience shooting the Genesis, and I still love 35 millimeter film. So, you know, they're both great formats, and tomorrow I'm going to go shoot Genesis and and. Uh, the next day I'll be shooting film, so, you know, right. we go back and forth. Which film cameras did you use on the show, and, and where did you get them? 
Well, it's interesting. I, I've shot Panavision for the overwhelming majority of my films for many, many years. And um, basically figured I'd be shooting Panavision. But when I got to Germany and I started getting into putting the camera package and the camera team together, it was really like bringing Cole to Newcastle. I mean, you're in the, the, the heart of the place where the camera's manufactured, where all of the crews are familiar with it, where the, the Aeroflex not only has cameras, but they, they, the lab was airy and all of the uh, lighting was coming from airy and I would have had to bring the Panavision stuff from London. So it was like, it just seemed not worth going uphill and uh and the airy's a great camera you know there, it, it's there's the pros and cons of airy and the pros and cons of panavision so which uh, bodies and lenses did you wind up using on the film i shot with the st uh as our basic camera and the lt as a backup i owned an atton so i had the atton too we used the Ingenue Optimo lenses and we used the uh, Cook S4s. And it was interesting because I tested the uh, Optimos, I tested the Zeiss Master Primes, I tested the Ultra Primes, both the Zooms and the Primes. And the funny thing that I really discovered was that the difference between the Zeiss or Ingenue or Cook Zooms and their respective Prime lenses was much greater than the difference between the Cook and the Zeiss primes. It's like the real difference was between the primes and the zooms, almost more than the you know Master Prime versus Ultra Prime or versus Cook 4. And did you end up shooting mostly with the zooms or mostly with the primes? I predominantly used the zooms, although the whole second half of the film is handheld, and so for that we tended to go more with some of the... Um, some of the prime lenses, and also uh, I built a couple of my own lightweight zooms that I use a lot. Who made the glass in them? Uh, one of them is Nikon, and the other one is, it started out as Canon and is now Minolta. <laughs> That's a long story. What film stocks did you shoot? For the interiors was predominantly 400 Fuji. The film stock that I shot for Africa was 5201. And the film stock that I shot for the day exterior in Germany was 5205. Some for 5201 or 5205, depending on the weather. I used 5219 when I reshot. I noticed that a lot of the visual information in the film is really is almost burned out. And I'm wondering, was that a, a technical thing to sort of make the most of what film is good at? Or was it really more of a, an aesthetic choice? Well, I like a lot of contrast, you know. I mean, uh, I like drama, you know. That's why I guess I don't do a lot of comedies, you know. I think black is blacker when white is whiter. When I can have a, a hot edge or, a, you know, a, a surface or a, the edge of a surface flaring or at the same time as I can have something that's as, you know, black as coal in the frame, you know, I'm happy as can be. And, I, you know, I mean, that's kind of what Valkyrie is about, you know. It's kind of what most good drama is about, those sort of extremes and I think also that I guess I'm just not real good at doing sort of muted flat <laughs> you know subdued some of it does look kind of subdued and, and muted did, did you do that in post there's definitely there, there's a very low level of desaturation throughout the, the, the film but I must say that a lot less in post than you would think because a lot of it was done in the production design as well you know I, I 
was uh, very fortunate. Joanna Johnson, who did the costumes, and Lily Kilbert and Patrick Lum, who did the production design, were very, very sensitive to that, and we really um, were able to keep the palette very, very muted, except for the, the little sort of touches of red. Yeah, and what was what was the idea behind that? Where did you use those? You see it in the, in the flags, the Nazi flags. You see it in... Uh, some of the accents on the uniforms, especially like the generals who have it in their collars and stuff like that. It's it's very it's subtle and it's but it's sprayed throughout the sort of you know the the, the um, Nazi symbolism. The one area where well, there's two places really where I went in a different direction in terms of the color. Um, one of them was the. Uh, when Stauffenberg comes home after being uh, wounded and recovering in the hospital, he goes home. And I really wanted the home to feel really warm and um, almost like you're sitting by the fire because I thought it was important for people to understand how much of a sacrifice he was going to make if he, if he died, what mm-hmm. he was giving up, you know, these beautiful little children, this loving wife. I mean, you know... He he had a good he had a good home to come home to, right. that he was potentially giving up by, you know, by going after Hitler, so that was one place where I really went very very warm and very um, uh, kind of um, uh, golden with with color. The other place was in Africa, um, you know, Africa needed to have a really uh, distinct look from from Germany, and you know, you needed to understand. Um, where you were. And where did you actually shoot the Africa stuff? Africa we shot um, just outside of Victorville in, uh, on the edge of the Mojave Desert. It was kind of ironic because we, uh, we scouted Jordan and then we scouted Spain while we were in Germany. And they were worried about how much it was going to cost and everything like that. And you know how you go on these scouts sometimes to faraway places and people go, hey, it looks like Monument Valley or whatever. It looks... Well, you know, of course, there's a couple of those wisecracks, and sure enough, you know, some months later, we're shooting in California. But it was actually a great location, and for that, I used uh, the 5201, and then I pull-processed it. How many stops? Two, um, which I'd never done before. It was pretty interesting. And then uh, I pull-processed it two stops. What effect were you going for with the pull? I wanted to, I wanted to be able to keep the contrast and the harshness of the desert but I wanted to keep the shadows from being just black, keep some, a little extra sort of detail in the shadows. And I also wanted to suppress the highlights a little bit, knowing that I'd probably put some of that back in, in post, but I wanted there to be a sort of a more kind of subdued contrast range in the original negative. And it also it did a sort of a natural kind of... Um, des- not only a slight desaturation, but it makes it gives it almost a kind of monochromatic feel, which I then enhanced with um, gold effects filters. All of that stuff was shot through gold effects filters, which it's a light gold, and it has a light diffusion, which takes the highlight and just gives it a little bit of a, of a sort of blooming to it, but very, very slight. It's almost yellow, kind of yellowish sand color. Now, do you have a favorite scene in the film, and it can be a big battle scene, or it can be a little scene between two people. Is, is there any scene in the film that really stands out for you? Well, I don't know that I have a favorite scene. I mean, I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff in the film. You know, the, the end of the film, when they were executed, you know, they just took these guys out into a courtyard 
This was during, you know, they were being bombed every night by the Allies. So there was heavy curfews on, on you know, your headlamps of cars were covered, windows had to have curtains pulled down. And what they really did was they just pulled them out and turned the headlights of the trucks on them and shot them. And I thought, well, you know, let's do it. And I basically emulated what were the headlights. Did you actually use the real headlights or did you uh, add to them? Well, I, when you look at the trucks, but when you were when you were like shooting over the trucks, or um, you know, you were looking at where the, where the lights were shining, so you didn't actually see the headlights necessarily. I just used movie lights to. I mean, you know, headlights are basically like par lights, use par cans and stuff. But it was really simple, you know. I mean, there's other little accents and, and some couple windows and coming down a doorway, and then sort of overall balloon lighting, you know, just to 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 create a sort of base level exposure, but very little, very little outside of uh, a couple of headlights, which was, you know, when you have like 100 extras and you're shooting a big Hollywood movie and you're lighting with a couple of headlights, I, I kind of like that. Did you do anything to fill out the scene, any fill light? Well, with the balloons gave it sort of a, you know, what I think Connie Hall used to call room tone, you know, just that just enough to that you could retain a little bit of shadow detail and then your principal light was the, was the headlights. So I liked that scene a lot. Uh, you know, Africa was really interesting and was fun to do. You know, we um, there's two uh, airplanes that fly, you know, ambush the, the convoy that Stauffenberg is in. And, you know, Tom Cruise being the big plane nut was a big supporter of uh, uh, actually doing it in camera rather than CGI planes. And... There's a shot there where I'm, I'm on a two-shot of a general and Tom Cruise talking, and they finish talking, and, and Stauffenberg turns away from the general, walks towards the camera, and all of a sudden, right over you know, his head, you see these, uh, these two airplanes come, and it's real. My God, you know, if I jumped up high enough, I probably could have touched them. It was like unbelievable how low these guys flew. I'm sure the exteriors uh, of the buildings were exteriors of buildings, but were the interiors uh, on a set? I'm glad you asked. I'm glad that uh, you couldn't tell. The uh, interior of what was called the War Ministry, where he had his office and General Fromm had his office, was a set. And uh, um, somewhat accurate to the real place, probably actually a little bigger. The, the rooms were a little bigger, but that was all on stage. It was so, such a huge page count to have done it in a practical location, yeah. I think would have been uh, uh, very problematic. But um, one of the big problems in Berlin is that almost half of Berlin was destroyed during the war. So while the story really took place here, the, the bulk of what um, existed back then is destroyed. So there's not as many of the locations that, as you would hope to be able to actually use. Having said that, I think being there and shooting it in Berlin really did influence the way, as a filmmaker, you know, you approach the film. That it really informs uh, your your thinking and your creative process every day. Just being in the actual place, I, I found it very inspirational, and I was really happy that we were doing it there instead of you know, Prague or. Romania or someplace. How much of the actual look of the film evolved after you got to Berlin? We were already a little bit of the ways through prep when Brian agreed to the handheld thing. And basically, once the, uh, the, the beginning of the film is pretty much all dollies and cranes, and then once the bomb goes off and Hitler's wounded, the rest of the film is handheld. 
That was interesting because it was a recommendation I had made to Brian, and he went along with it with a certain caveat, which was that, okay, let's do that, but I want to shoot the same shots I would do if I was like on the dolly, but handheld. So it, what he didn't want was sort of a Paul Greengrass style of more of cinema verite shooting. He wanted it to be the same types of shots, but just that little extra energy that you get by doing it handheld. So a lot of the, the, the design of the scenes that we did and the angles and the, and the different shots were done like we would do them if we had been on the dolly, but we were handheld, you know, maybe riding on a, on a dolly, riding on a little skateboard dolly, whatever it, it took. But, uh, and sometimes, you know, on a kind of sandbag, but, but basically, you know, handheld for, from there to the, to the end of the movie to the execution, and it's subtle when you watch the film, you know, I don't even know if people will notice, but, you know, when you watch it, and you, you can see from that point, and that bomb went off, the, the rest of the film just has that little bit of sort of floating, kind of slightly feel of human breathing look to it, you know, and uh, Scott Sakamoto, who I've known and worked with for many years, um, was with me, and we both just pumped the camera for that half of the film. It's, a, it's kind of a cool, subtle... I mean, I probably, had I, you know, just been let loose, I probably would have made it a little more uh, more rough and ready. But, you know, it's not really Brian's aesthetic. And, you know, even when we were doing it, if there was like, you know, <laughs> if, you know, I had a little bit of a jerk or a float, and, you know, I'd hear about it. He'd be like, you know, ah, it's too herky-jerky. It's like, okay, okay, okay. What stages did you shoot at? Did you shoot at Babelsberg? Unfortunately, they were uh, just finishing Speed Racer, and in the middle of uh, the International. So we were at Babelsberg, but we were like at the, uh, you know, the, the converted uh, uh, factory across the street from, from, the, from the nice stages. How was your crew in Germany? I was really lucky. I actually did a film in Germany many, many years ago. My rigging gaffer was one of my electricians on that old mm-hmm. film. and He was fantastic, and um, we really got lucky with a great, great crew there. And uh, for my side of things, it was, you know, it was fairly... Fairly smooth. And how did you light the stages? Did you treat it like a location, or did you light from grid? The the big set, which was the War Ministry, was uh, there was a lot of stuff from from grids. We put in uh, green beds, and we did a lot of lighting from there, and then lighting from truss outside windows. And we had big backings, and um, not the greatest backings I've ever worked with, so that was problematic. But uh, it was it was you know your pretty basic uh, soft boxes in the middle of the set and, and big fresnels and power cans around the edges and twenty k's out the windows nothing being reinvented here. What well, sounds like no matter what else it was an important episode in your relationship with your own mother. Yeah, it was. I, I only wish that she had lived uh, long enough to see the movie, and I wish that she had um, been healthy enough to uh, come to Germany, but she was 91 years old and it wasn't meant to be, so. Okay. All right, I know you have to run. I thank you very oh, much. Oh, no, I thank you. you yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Really.